We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com podcast. This is a bonus episode because we've got so much to talk about coming out of the Lakers win in game one against the Memphis Grizzlies. I do have a bunch of Super Chat questions left over from the post-game show that we'll get into. Plus, we've got to talk a little bit about John Morant's injury. We do have an update there and just some new thoughts after last night's game against the Grizzlies, what everything means for the Lakers here moving forward. Some things that I particularly liked about this game. So we got a lot of stuff to get into. Let's start with the John Morant situation because – Here's the thing, and I've seen this response from a lot of a lot of Lakers fans so far, saying, of course you want the Lakers to win the series, but you don't want them to win the series because of an injury to an, a really good player, a superstar player for another team. And now, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, it is very doubtful that John Morant is going to be a go uh, on uh, Wednesday for Game 2. So, again, significant doubt were, were the words used by Adrian Wojnarowski regarding John Morant's availability for the Memphis Grizzlies. Not a surprise. That was a nasty, nasty-looking injury. I was amazed that there were no fractures in there. Uh, again, x-rays, uh, this is on the positive, x-rays came out negative uh, on John Morant on his hand. I thought for sure something was going to be broken in there, but still in a lot of pain and significant doubt that he will be eligible to play in Game 2. So what does this mean for the Lakers? I mean, again, you, you never want to see injuries. One of the things that I really, really hate around the NBA. It's when we see opposing fan bases celebrate an injury to an opponent. And and Lakers fans have kind of been through this, right? Because we've seen certain fans who have celebrated injuries to to Anthony Davis. And I know we instantly think of New Orleans fans because of the, you know, the pick swap situation this season or the draft pick situation in previous seasons or just kind of that leftover animosity towards the Lakers from the whole trade situation. But it's not just them. We've seen it from other fans around the NBA, when you think about the nicknames that people come up with for Anthony Davis that criticize him for getting hurt as though he's choosing somehow to get injured. And, and this is something that is his fault. Um, in any event, with that context, it doesn't feel good to see an opposing team suffer this, this kind of injury. And again, and I'm glad that in general, the reaction I've seen from Lakers fans has been not one of saying, you know, yes, this is great. This is a good thing or, or anything like that. Instead, I've seen Lakers fans largely say, hey, this is terrible because that's, that's what it is. We want to see good basketball and you want to see the Lakers beat a team at their best. What you don't want to hear is, 
after the series, you know, the Lakers win the series, you don't want to hear, well, they only won because Job was hurt, right? Because that's that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. You know, look, the Lakers, as one of the most successful franchises in sports, right, as the most popular basketball club in the world, it brings a lot of hate, right? Plenty of haters, plenty of supporters too, which is great. Lakers Nation, you guys are phenomenal, phenomenal. Lakers fans are amazing. But there's also a lot of Lakers haters out there. And so what can happen is when you get a, a situation like that, they're going to cling on to anything, anything to try to discredit your success. I mean, hell, look at the bubble, right? Look at everything that happened with that championship. We talked about it for months because we had nothing else to talk about. For months during the pandemic, we talked about if the NBA does start up again, because we didn't know if it would, if it starts up, Will that championship be considered an asterisk? Will it be tainted in some way because the season shut down for however many months, because the circumstances are going to be different, because there aren't going to be fans there? Then once my buddy Keith Smith from the front office show wrote up the plan for the NBA to go into the bubble in Orlando at Disney World, and that whole thing started up before we started, same conversation. Is this an asterisk season? The general consensus was no, no way. Not at all. We're so happy to have basketball back, and this is totally fair. Everybody is competing in the same environment. In fact, if you're the number one seed, this actually probably hurts you because you had home court advantage and you lose that all the way throughout the playoffs. That was the conversation. Then the conversation became, oh, my gosh, look at this. Look at this gauntlet the Lakers have to run in order to get to the championship. Portland. How many people were picking Portland to upset the Lakers in round one? That was a thing. And then how many people were saying, oh, they can't get past James Harden and Russell Westbrook. That was a thing. And then it was, well, okay, the Clippers choked, didn't get to the Western Conference Finals. But the thought was, you're going to have to go through Portland, Houston, and the Clippers just to get to the championship. Wound up being Denver instead. The Lakers get the win there. They beat the Miami Heat, who made their way all the way to the finals. And I guarantee you, had the Miami Heat won the championship, you wouldn't be hearing nearly as much, nearly as much of the oh, it's a bubble championship, it's a bubble ring, it doesn't count, all that all that kind of stuff. Why do we hear all of that now? Why do we now hear, oh, they actually had an easy path? When before, before the Lakers started on the playoffs, it was, oh, the Lakers aren't going to make it. This is the most difficult path to a championship ever. There's no way they're going to make it through the playoffs. Portland's going to take them down. Houston's going to take them down. It was all wishful thinking from Lakers haters who are now trying to flip the narrative after the fact and tried to discredit the Lakers just because they dislike the Lakers. It's all just because of who actually won. And so you know that's going to be out there. You know it. You know if the Lakers get through this series, it's going to be, well, it's because Ja was hurt and Steven Adams was hurt and Brandon Clark was hurt. And look, injuries are, are a factor. We know this all too well, right? Lakers fans, we know this. We've said it before. In, 2000, uh, in 2021, the Lakers probably get past the Phoenix Suns if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt. They were looking really good in that series. And then AD gets hurt and the whole thing shifts. So we understand this effect, but you never want to win a series where that's the general thought afterwards is you got through it because your opponent got injured. I'd much rather the Lakers show their stuff, take down the Grizzlies and everybody go, damn, the Lakers are really good. Look at this team. I don't know if we're going to get that. And it's unfortunate beyond just what the impact is on the optics around the Lakers. You never want to see 
players get hurt and you never want to see this happen to a talent, the, the level of John Morant. So again, it's my long-winded way of saying this is not a positive thing for the Lakers. Maybe it helps them in the series. And I think it does. Tyus Jones is, is largely known as the best backup point guard in the NBA. The Grizzlies have proven they can win without John Morant. I believe their record for the season is 10 and 8 without Jaw. They can win games without him. I think the cumulative effect on the Grizzlies bench, though, is going to be a big deal. I mean, that's that's really the problem. It's not that Tyus Jones can't be a starting caliber point, point guard. He absolutely can. But the problem becomes, what about the minutes when Tyus Jones is not on the floor? Because he can't play 48 minutes. What If he plays 40 minutes, what about those eight minutes when he's not out there? What does that look like? Like the Grizzlies are in really good shape when Tyus Jones is playing the minutes that John Morant is not on the floor. But without Ja, what happens when Tyus isn't on the floor? Then what does that look like? And then you add that too. No Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. That puts the Grizzlies in a really tough spot. And I will say last I looked, and I just checked a little bit ago, uh, the Grizzlies were a point and a half favorite in game two. But keep in mind, like you lose both games at home to start the series. I'd imagine the the numbers are astronomical against actually winning the series. So I'm sure that's factored in. The Grizzlies are going to be playing desperate because they absolutely have to be. But again, I think the Grizzlies are, are still a dangerous team. Um, if they have lost Ja for potentially the series, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Hopefully he does heal up. Just be aware that, yes, this does negatively impact the Grizzlies they, uh, in a big, big way. Tyus Jones is great, but I think the domino effect of what it means for the rest of their, their lineup is, is not good. And that's going to be the narrative. You're going to be hearing that a lot. You're going to be hearing, well, the Lakers got through because the Grizzlies got hurt more so than the Lakers got through because, hey, we need to give credit to the Lakers because they're really good. So just Lakers Nation, just be aware of that. That's going to be out there now that Ja unfortunately suffered this injury. And again, first and foremost concern is with Ja Morant, and hopefully he is able to heal up and you can see him return to the court. But just be prepared for that type of narrative to be out there both in the media and among fans should the Lakers go on to win this series. That being said, again, the Grizzlies are still very good without Ja Morant. If the Lakers... Look across, and we see NBA teams do this all the time. If the Lakers look across the court and they see no jaw and they say, Oh, cool, we've got this, and they take their foot off the gas pedal, if they don't play with the urgency that we saw last night in the win against the Grizzlies, well, things could get pretty dicey pretty quickly. So the Grizzlies are a dangerous enough, dangerous enough team to where even without jaw, you have to respect them. And if you don't respect them, well, the basketball gods are going to smack you down very, very quickly. So it's going to be on the Lakers. To keep that focus, to keep that focus, to keep the attention to detail. Don't think you can rely on Rui Hachimura to go for 29 points every single night. Although I think he he had a great game. Desmond Bain may not have agreed that and that Rui was uh, is that caliber of player. You know Desmond Bain and I, I did a video for the Lakers Nation YouTube channel on this. Had the had his comments about Rui, saying that uh, that was the Grizzlies game plan was to leave Rui open, was to make him hit shots, which they absolutely should have had that game plan. Said he tipped his cap to him, but then had to throw in that little bit about it being the best game of his career, and we'll see if he can do it again on Wednesday. Like the implication is, he's saying that Rui's not that not a good player, right? He's not a good player, and it was a fluke. And so it's that, that last part, like he's not wrong. The Grizzlies should be leaving Rui if they if that's the preferred shooter. It's better leaving Rui than leaving Austin Reeves or leave, leaving D'Angelo Russell, who are both forty plus percent three point shooters, but. Still, just the way it was said, it's 
there's just a general feeling around the Grizzlies. Like they just kind of bother people just with their comments, their chirping, their, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's just another example of it where Des kind of said what needed to be said and then added in the little bit where he's just implying that Rui's not a good player. And credit to Rui. I say it all the time. Punish teams for their choices. Rui said, you leave me open, I'm going to punish you for that. Good for him. Good for him. Good for Rui. And I hope he keeps it up because I think the Grizzlies are going to continue doing it. I think they believe the numbers will come back around and Rui's going to continue to get open looks. Hopefully he continues to punish the Grizzlies. All of that aside, I, I do have some more comments I need to get into for the game itself, but I think I'll get there organically through most of our, our questions and comments coming in from fans. So let's let's jump right into that. And let's start here with Charles Ramsey says, finally, a game we played that looked like we actually wanted to win. If we keep this complacency away, uh, we can go deep into the playoffs. So the Lakers final four, maybe five games of the regular season, they just didn't look that sharp. They didn't look that focused. And we questioned whether or not it was fatigue or whether it was disinterest because opposing teams weren't really playing their guys. You look at who the Phoenix Suns played. You look at who the Utah Jazz put on the floor. Kind of hard to really get up for those games and be absolutely focused, particularly given the, the final stretch, the hellacious final kick that the Lakers made in order to finish in the seventh seed. That, that's got to be exhausting. And so the, the thought was maybe there's mental fatigue, maybe there's physical fatigue, or perhaps there's a little bit of disinterest. Maybe it's all of the above. And we just didn't see a Lakers team that was very sharp. And the hope was that they would turn things around when the postseason got started because, for one thing, they would have four days off to recharge their batteries uh, after the play-in tournament. And then the other piece of it being it's the playoffs, and guys tend to step it up for the postseason. And I think we saw both of those things come into play. And, yeah, look, it wasn't just that they looked like they actually wanted to win. It looked like they were a team that was uh, firing on all cylinders again, that really was going to get after it and believed in themselves and believed that they are going to be a difficult out for anybody. The Grizzlies have been phenomenal on their home court this season, and the Lakers went into Memphis and said, yeah, we'll take that home court advantage, please. Thank you. Took home court advantage in one game. Incredible stuff. And now they put the Grizzlies in a spot where if they don't win game two, the Grizzlies have to go back to L.A. down 0-2. I expect Memphis to play desperate on Wednesday night, and they absolutely should be because the Lakers came in and played with that sense of urgency, played with that precision that we knew that they had in them. Now the question becomes, can they do it consistently? Uh, Kai199 said, love everything about this game besides AD allowing the switch on Jaron Jackson over and over again. Great win by the others. I'm glad this got brought up because looking back at that game, and I went back and rewatched large chunks of the game, I agree. I think that, that defensively, and Anthony Davis, what a masterclass on the defensive end. Seven blocks and three steals, 10 stocks. Incredible. Incredible stuff there. I mean, especially going up, sharing the floor with the guy who I think is probably going to be the defensive player of the year and Jaron Jackson Jr. AD went out there and reminded everybody, hey, at my best, nobody's on my level, right? Maybe Giannis, right? Maybe there's a few, but AD's on a different tier, even, uh, even compared to Jaron Jackson Jr., who, again, who did it for a bit more of the season. But AD, when he's at his best defensively, is arguably the best defensive player in the NBA. He was phenomenal. That said, the one thing that I would like to see fixed up here 
is that switch with Jaron Jackson. And I think the key is who is it that's switching on to Jaron Jackson? And that should be a, term, a determining factor in whether or not you switch or how you play that. When it's Vando out there, he's just not big enough. He's just not. He's 6'9", 215, something like that. And he's got 10 pounds on Wenyan. So it's not like you can put Wenyan out there. You could say, well, put Mobamba out there. Okay, but then is he going to struggle defending the three? And can he defend without fouling and all that? You can say put Tristan Thompson out there. Okay. I think Rui is kind of the best of both worlds because he's 230, 6'8", 230. He's got some muscle to him. A little bit harder to back down Rui. I'm not saying Rui is a great post defender by any means, but we saw where he just offers a bit more resistance to guys like Towns, to guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. So when it's Vando on the floor, I don't think you can allow that switch. He's just not big enough. Vando and I'm not trying to, to discredit Jared Vanderbilt's defensive capabilities at all. He's phenomenal. I loved what we saw against Jaw. He's at his best, though, when he's defending players that are smaller than him. Asking him to defend up is a bit more of a challenge, particularly a guy the size of Jaron Jackson Jr. So I do think that is the most important tweak we need to see to the Lakers' defensive game plan this next game. It's don't allow... Vando to get switched. And if you do wind up stuck in that situation, it's sending extra help, sending extra help to the ball, to Jaron Jackson Jr. If he gets the ball in the post, sending that double, make him be a passer out of it, make the Grizzlies make the right read. You can try to react and, uh, and recover and don't allow Jaron Jackson just to go off against Jared Vanderbilt. Cause look, if there's no John Morant, Desmond Bain can get hot from three. Right, Luke Kennard can get hot from three. They've got guys that can still score the basketball, but you know, Jaron Jackson is going to be an even bigger focal point on the offensive end, and he was their best player in game one. So, you need to have an even better defensive game plan against Jaron Jackson, one that doesn't let him get going quite so easily, particularly if you do assume that Desmond Bain and uh, Luke Kennard they're going to combine to shoot a bit better in game two than they did in game one. M Dread, Rui and Austin for superstar of the night, AD Braun block party, 10 blocks between Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And I love it. I love it that Desmond Bain was the one who said last season that LeBron's footsteps come and weren't scaring anybody. Now he was talking about LeBron closing out on a three point attempt last season, but that was this quote that was going around from last season. You know, and you think of LeBron, when we think of LeBron's blocks, it's the famous chase down blocks, right? He has so many great ones. And here's Dez saying, nobody's afraid of that anymore. And what do we see? A monster chase down block by LeBron on Desmond Bain. Little karma there. AD and Braun were fantastic defensively. And I love that the Lakers, because here's the, here's the thing. Austin starts to get going in the fourth quarter. And you could see it. You could feel it. But in that moment, it's crunch time. What does everybody do in crunch time? You give the ball to your stars. So everybody, the Grizzlies, were clearly expecting the Lakers to give the ball to LeBron or give the ball to AD. That's what I was expecting. I was expecting, oh, okay, well, the ball's going to go to LeBron, AD. Let's see if they can close this out for us. Instead, Austin got going, and the Lakers just said, eh, keep going. And that's a credit to, I, I don't know if that was an, overt decision by Darvin Ham if he said just 
keep going, Austin, keep running this? Or if that was a LeBron, like who made that decision? Or if that was just an organic thing that kind of happened as the game progressed. But regardless, credit to the Lakers, credit to the decision makers for saying, yeah, let's, let's roll with this. Because look, Austin took advantage of the fact that the Grizzlies all assume the ball is going to LeBron or all assume the ball is going to AD. Again, people watching it from the Lakers side of things thought that. And so the Grizzlies are overplaying against LeBron, against AD, and Austin said, cool, that gives me openings. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to close this game out. And he did just that. It was phenomenal stuff from Austin Reeves. And credit to the Lakers for not changing what was working, for saying, hey, this is working. Let's keep doing it until they stop us. Great job. And Rui, punishing teams for their choices. I talk about it all the time. Punish teams for their choices. The Grizzlies made the decision that they were going to allow Rui Hachimura to shoot jumpers. And if he made them, he made them. Credit to Rui. He said, cool, you're going to let me shoot jumpers? I'm going to make them. Julian said, Rui, top five all time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Come on. Let's not go crazy. Massive win, Trev. Great, great, great team win. Superstar of the night, Rui. I believe that is the way I voted for Superstar of the night. Star in your role, Reeves. Masterlock Vegas for choosing Memphis. Minus four. It was minus five Grizzlies at one point. Then it slipped back to minus four and a half before the game. Three more LFG. I mean, I understand why the Grizzlies were the favorite. I thought it was a little bit of a strong favorite. I thought it was a little too much to make them a four and a half or five point favorite in the game. And the Lakers showed why the Lakers showed why. And again, game two, last I looked, it was Memphis by a point and a half. Currently they're the favorites that may shift prior to game day. And maybe if jaw is officially ruled out, that will change. Oh, it actually had already shifted. I just checked it now. And now the line is even, which is probably a response to the news on jaw. So Vegas is adjusting, says TV. Reeves and Hachimura, they made LeBron a role player. See, I hesitate to say LeBron was a role player in this game because you look at, like, okay, LeBron didn't go for 40 points. But sometimes we, we focus so much on points. Even those of us who try to not focus, right? We try to focus on what does the guy do defensively? What is he doing protecting the paint? What does he mean in terms of gravity on the offensive end? What about his passing? Like, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score that 
people don't give enough credit to because we still are conditioned. As soon as we look at a box score, what's the first thing we look at? It's points. LeBron didn't go for 40 points, but I thought LeBron had a great game. I thought LeBron had a great game. Uh, Keith Smith mentioned that there were on the front office show today, mentioned that there were some moments where he thought LeBron didn't have that much lift. And I'm just thinking, man, I mean, he didn't have that much lift and, and he still had, what was it? 10 boards, 11 boards, something, something to that effect. Like LeBron was excellent in this game. I thought he was great. And it wasn't all happening with his scoring did finish 11 boards. It wasn't all happening with the scoring 21 points, but eight of 16 shooting two of four at the free throw line. You like to be a little bit better there. Three of eight from three. That's fine. That's fine. No problem with that. Right. Five turnovers. So there were some ugly turnovers, but I thought, I thought LeBron gave the Lakers what they needed in this one. So he wasn't the big scorer. In fact, he was the third highest scorer on the team behind Austin Reeves and behind Anthony Davis. But LeBron gave you a lot of things in this game that you just needed. And I like the distribution of the assists. Five for LeBron, seven for D'Lo, four for Austin, four for Dennis Schroeder. The Lakers' main ball handlers were passing the rock. They were finding open players and players were knocking down shots. I like it. If there was anything in LeBron's game that I would have changed, it's the five turnovers. A couple of them were of the kind of sloppy variety. Goatman, AR-15, bunch of exclamation points. Ham calling timeout and putting Rui back in the game was clutch. I was yelling, call timeout, put Rui in at that exact moment. 1-0. Yep. I thought Darvin Ham coached a really good game. Give him credit. Thought he coached a good game. I was hoping... So my, we were covering the game live on playback, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. My hope was that when Ja got hurt and it was clear Ja was coming out, that at that moment, Vanda would come out as well because he had been mirroring Ja's minutes as he should. And, and look, one of the big questions coming in was, can Jared Vanderbilt defend Ja Morant? The answer was yes. Yes, he can, which was, I mean, that's a big help for the Lakers, big. But in any event, once Jaw comes out of the game, though, I think you wanted Vanderbilt off the floor just so that he couldn't get put into switch situations with Jaron Jackson Jr. Because that's exactly what happened. And then Darvin Ham had to burn a timeout in order to get Rui onto the floor. Now, again, credit to him. He did burn the timeout. He went for it, said, OK, let's let's do it. Let's get Rui on the floor. And it helped the Lakers pull away. But this game was very close with just a few minutes left. And then the Lakers surged ahead and closed things out. And so I would have preferred a little bit quicker trigger once Jaw went out on Vando, but nonetheless, give him credit that he recognized it and said, yeah, we can't let this continue. Let's switch this up. Let's get Rui back in this game. We're going to get a little bit more offense. And then we're going to trust that Rui's physicality on the defensive end of the floor is going to afford us a, a bit more um, of a presence, just kind of bodying up Jaron Jackson than what Vando does. Sultry speaking, nominee for best actor, and the winner is AD. LOL, my heart stopped. I don't think AD was acting. That was a scary moment. At the end of the first half, Anthony Davis is fouled by Jaron Jackson Jr. No call, by the way. The officials, I thought, refed a very poor game in, in general, just a very inconsistent game. And like Jaron Jackson, he committed a ton of fouls that were not called. And he's known for committing fouls. It felt like there was this. I saw somebody make this comment that the stars were allowed to play very physical and the other guys were called for ticky tack fouls. 
And that maybe that explains some of the inconsistency throughout the game because you've got Jaron Jackson committing obvious fouls, like grabbing onto Anthony Davis's arm and, and shoulder and, and all of that when AD got hurt. No call. He committed a bunch of fouls that just went uncalled. And then you had other players where they barely get any contact at all and suddenly the whistle's blowing. Regardless, though, AD gets hurt at the end of the half. There's what a minute and a half left, something like that. And of course, the camera catches him saying, I can't feel my arm or I can't move my arm, something to that effect. And when he said that, as scary as that sounds, that was actually a little bit comforting for me because I'm seeing his arm hanging and in my head, I'm thinking, oh no, his shoulder dislocated. Oh no, something tore, right? Like that. those are the thoughts going through my head which is obviously bad, bad, bad. When he said, I can't feel or I can't move my arm, I went, oh, it's a stinger. That's what happens with a stinger. You, you, you can't feel your arm. And so when he said that, I went, okay, we should be all right here. But until we, I'm going to be on pins and needles till we get final word. It was scary though. Darwin reportedly just told the trainers, like, take him. Take him to the back. We're almost to halftime anyway. Just go. Don't keep him out here on the floor and just get working on him. So we didn't know for sure if AD was going to come back at halftime. So that means we spent 10, 15 minutes essentially not sure whether or not the Lakers season was over. Because let's face it, if AD is hurt, if he's out, that's it, right? I mean, maybe you can still survive a series or something, but you're not going to get where you want to go without AD. So some scary moments there. And I don't think that was AD acting. I mean, he legitimately was hurt. And credit to him for playing through it and coming back. Sheesh said, love watching this team. So excited for the playoff run. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They've been a lot of fun to watch. They've been, I mean, it's, I keep summing it up this way. It feels like Lakers basketball again. It feels like Lakers basketball again. And that is so, so important. All right, I'm going to pause for just a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor. And this is Shady Rays. I love Shady If you guys have heard me talk about Shady Rays before, they've been my daily driver sunglasses for years before they even started uh, advertising on our show. They are phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Again, I, I literally have talked about this before. I literally have five pairs of Shady Rays because I've got so many different styles and different things that you can choose from. Um, they're an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames, extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. If you've ever checked out my Instagram, at uh, Trevor Lane NBA, you've probably seen pictures up there of me wearing Shady Ray sunglasses over the years. It's just, it's been a thing. They have been my sunglasses company of choice for years now. They offer the most insane protection in all of eyewear, Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. Okay, so this is, I love the sunglasses themselves, obviously, because it doesn't matter all that much if the sunglasses aren't high quality, if you don't like them. I love Shady Ray sunglasses, but here's what, what I really love, because I'm the type, I lose sunglasses, I break sunglasses, I never wanted to spend any significant amount of money on sunglasses because I'm like, I, I'm going to lose them, I'm going to break them, and then I'm going to feel terrible. Well, with Shady Rays, not only do they not, cost nearly as much as you would think they would 
Um, they also offer their uh, lost and broken replacement program, which means that if you lose your sunglasses or if you break them, you contact Shady Rays and they give you another pair. I've had to do this twice with two different pairs of sunglasses. One pair I broke. I just I put them on the seat of my car, forgot about them, went into a store, came back out, sat on them, broke them. I contacted Shady Rays. They sent me a new pair right away. It's phenomenal. It is absolutely amazing. And again, having actually used this program multiple times, I can tell you they do it. It works. You wouldn't think it's really a thing, but yeah, at any point you break your sunglasses, they send you another pair. It is the real deal. I can confirm that with Shady Rays. You look good and feel good to date. They've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with feeding America. And if you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. So there's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. That's also big because you know what? Like there's times where you want to try sunglasses on in person and you think a pair would look really great. And then it turns out they just don't really fit your head the right way or the way that you want. Shady Rays, you order a pair, you get them and you go, ah, these don't really work out the way that I thought that they would. They don't, I don't quite like this style. I like to try this instead. They've got their exchange program. They've got you covered. It's so many different ways. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use my code LakersNation for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Again, I can, I can vouch for them. They've been my sunglasses for years. They're phenomenal. Definitely. Go check them out. All right. Demetrius Jones, I hate that the story might be the Lakers won because of the jaw injury, but Lakers definitely look rested. Eight games in 14 days was rough. It's exactly what I was talking about to kick off the show. Not what you want from a Lakers perspective, having people run around say, saying, oh, the Lakers aren't actually that good. Look, what does it really matter what other people think? True. True. Right? Does it really matter if people give the Lakers the credit they're due if ultimately Lakers get where they want to go? That's the thing. And look, no matter what, you're going to have Lakers haters that are going to try to try to take away from any accomplishment the Lakers have. But yeah, that's going to be the narrative. That's going to be the narrative. If the Lakers get through this series and John Moran is hurt, it's going to be they got through because Jaw was hurt. Just be prepared for it. Lakers 49ers for life said Rui, Austin Reeves, and AD went crazy. We got the win through controversy, foul calls, AD showed toughness, bouncing back, stripped the street clothes name people, Lakers. Yeah, right? AD fighting through it. He badly wants to change that narrative. He badly wants to change it. It's not like he wants to get hurt. And he doesn't want that to be what he's known for. He wants to change that narrative. And you know what? Games like game one, going to maybe help him do that. Going to maybe help him do that. Ape Man said, hope Jaw didn't dislocate his finger. If so, he done. Well, we don't have anything official on exactly what happened with Jaw. We know there was no fracture in there, but nothing official on exactly what went on, although he did say that his pain level was a 10 out of 10. So again, that's nothing official as of this moment. I'd imagine at some point soon, we're going to hear exactly what's going on in, in Jaw's hand slash wrist area. It looked nasty whatever that was, that, that exactly happened. And um, hopefully he does heal up uh, quickly. Mamba mentality, prayers for job. Hope he gets back soon. We need to go all out for game two. 
I feel pretty good about this series. Yeah, especially if you get game two. If you can get game two, you should feel pretty good overall. Get Win the first two games on the road. Go back home with a chance to close out the series on your home court. That would be phenomenal. Of course, you know the Grizzlies are going to understand how important it is that they don't create that type of scenario for themselves. So they're going to go all out. They are going to be in a backs against the wall, must win situation in game two. So I'm expecting the Grizzlies to throw everything they've got at the Lakers. It's going to be quite a battle. Mark Polo said a Lakers win. Let's go. Yes. Yep. I love, I love just how excited Lakers fans are in general right now. Lakers nation is because this is what we've missed. We haven't been able to see this recently because the Lakers haven't been well they haven't looked this good in a while and once again it just it feels like Lakers basketball again it feels like the Lakers back in the playoffs fans are excited they look good I don't want to say all is right in the world because of course we know that that's not the case but it just there's a familiarity to this it feels like real Lakers basketball once again Wicked Bronco Lakers in four with no jaw well, again, I would caution the Grizzlies are actually very good without Jaw. They've shown the ability to win without him. So I would not assume that that is just a foregone conclusion that the Lakers will win even if, if uh, Jaw is out. But he goes on to say, re-sign Rui and Reeves right now and let Brown walk. He is awful. We give Beasley crap, but what else does Troy do if he can't shoot or play defense? Give Max all his minutes. Also, we need to see Bam refs suck okay so let's let's break that down here so first of all re-sign Rui and Reeves right now yeah both will be restricted free agents Lakers are in the driver's seat to keep both of those guys so the price tag though probably just went up based on what we saw in game one uh let Brown walk he is awful this isn't the only comment that that says something like this um that we have coming up here so Troy Brown Jr has not been great recently in terms of his shooting. But he also had a stretch where he was fantastic. He's shooting 38% from three on the season. I don't like how reactionary we can sometimes be, where Troy Brown, in this case, didn't have a great... I didn't think it was terrible, but didn't have a great performance, right? Uh, one for four shooting, one from three from three. Look, if he's two for four shooting and two from three, two for three from three, we're talking about it was a great night. For Troy Brown, or a great afternoon, I guess I should say, for Troy Brown. So we're talking about one missed shot, really. Now, look, there were some moments where he looked a little bit shaky, but remember, this is a young player, doesn't have a lot of playoff, playoff experience. I think that potentially we just saw the nerves get to him a little bit. But Troy Brown has been pretty good for the Lakers on the season, particularly on a veteran minimum salary. So I don't want to look at just this recent stretch and say, oh, Troy Brown's no good as a basketball player. He's actually been pretty good for the Lakers in general. In fact, the month of April, now admittedly, this is a small sample size, but five games in the month of April, he shot 58% from three. Now he's not scoring double digits. He hasn't been in double figures since the end of March, since March 26th against Chicago. He had 18 points and that was a game the Lakers lost. So it's not like he's a double digit score. That's not what he is. But he is a guy who can give you a little bit of floor spacing who can be a bit switchy defensively. He's not a lockdown defender, but he's not a bad defender either. You know, even you look at the month of March, 42% from three. He's shot the ball well. 
He's just not a high-volume scorer, and teams need that. Teams need guys who can play good defense, who can be switchy, and when the ball comes to them, they can knock in an open three, and if it doesn't come to them, that's okay. They're still going to be out there giving you something on the defensive end of the floor, still giving you something on the board, still helping you out in some other ways. Again, he's not the best player ever. It wouldn't be the end of the world if the Lakers lost him, but I think looking at just this game and saying, oh, he's one for four from the field, didn't shoot the ball well, clearly he shouldn't be in the game, just let him go. I don't think that's a good way to look at the entire season for Troy Brown, who I think has had a nice year. And remember, he's only 23. He's 23 years old. If you're going to bet on the upside on something in today's NBA, you want it to be a wing player. Even if all he projects to be into the future is a 3 and D wing in today's NBA, that is extremely valuable, and he is still very, very young. So there's still some upside here with Troy Brown. Now, I'm not Again, I'm not saying he's a world beater. I'm not saying he's a locked-in starter moving forward or anything like that. If you ask me who has more upside, Max Christie or Troy Brown, it's probably Max Christie. But I don't think we need to ride the roller coaster where as soon as somebody has a somewhat off shooting performance like Troy Brown did, we need to just dismiss them and say, that's it. See you later. We're done. No, he's been pretty good for the Lakers on the season. He's done some really good things for them. It's not like he's again, a, a world beater, but if you're able to keep him next season, I think that would actually be a positive because he's a young player at a position that is really difficult to replace. Although wicked Bronco does mention Max Christie, who may just be the replacement who might make, Troy Brown a little bit more expendable. Again, if you can keep Troy on a reasonable contract next year, you do it because of positional scarcity. It's hard to find wings who can defend, who can switch between multiple positions and can shoot the three pretty well. And I think that Troy checks all of those boxes. That said, Max Christie could be that guy to just take over that role. It could be that next year, Troy Brown departs and Max just gets all those minutes. That could very well wind up being a thing. And if that's the case, great. I still don't think you want to just let Troy Brown Jr. walk away, though. I think he's been relatively good at a position where the Lakers and, frankly, every team in the NBA is looking for 3 and D-style wings. And I think Troy Brown can do that. Now, as far as we need to see Mo Bamba, need to see more of him, we've been on that for a while now. It just it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Because the playoffs aren't the place to experiment. That's not the place to go throw Mo Bamba in and say, okay, let's see what you look like next to Anthony Davis right now. Right? I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not there. So I do agree that I would have liked to have seen more of Mo Bamba. Now, obviously his injury robbed us of some of those opportunities, but I don't know that you're going to see him in high leverage situations in a playoff game because how much trust can the coaching staff have in a guy that we just haven't seen that enough, enough of. And look, you could say that's on the coaching staff for not playing him more minutes when they've had him available. And that's fair. Again, I would like to have seen more of him. I just don't know if now is the point to find out what you've got in Mobamba when every game matters so much. Look, even if let's say the Lakers go up three, nothing in the series, do you really want to play around with game four when you've got LeBron managing an injury, you've got AD, managing an injury. No, you want to get the series done as quickly as possible so that those guys can rest, recover a little bit more, and you move on to the next series. I don't think at any point in the postseason 
unless there is a blowout in a game in one direction or another, that the Lakers find themselves in a position where they say, you know what, we can just kind of play around with some things here. Let's try throwing Mo into the game here at this position and, and try these things with him. I don't think you're going to have that opportunity unless there's a blowout performance in game. You can't just go into a game four with a potential to sweep an opponent, say, and just say, well, you know what? We've got plenty of opportunities to win this series. Let's not worry so much about this one. Let's get some guys some extra minutes. No, given the context of this Lakers team, you have to take care of business whenever you have the opportunity to do so. Uh, refs suck. Yeah, I mean, they were bad. They were inconsistent. They were not good. Um, yeah, it, it was not good from the officials. And I'll be interested to see what we get next game on Wednesday in regards to how is Jaron Jackson Jr. officiated? What about LeBron? What about AD? How are all those guys officiated compared to the role players on both teams? What does that look like? Uh, and Millie said Memphis only lost six games at home this entire season, and we go in and take care of business in game one, LFG. Pretty remarkable. I mean, look, it's it's Golden State that gets all the buzz for being this great home team, terrible road team, but Memphis has been phenomenal at home. And you're right. The Lakers went in and kind of punched the Grizzlies in the mouth, didn't they? The Lakers went in and said, you know what? You've got home court right now? No, not anymore. We just took it from you. That's really impressive to go into Memphis and get a win like this. Now, again, Memphis was right there. You can say Jaws injury maybe was a factor down the stretch. But the bottom line, the Lakers got the job done and got the win. Good guy. Ham did a good job. We don't hear that very often, do we, here on this show? We hear a lot of fans complaining about him, but he said, pulled Beasley immediately when uh, we lost the lead, called timeouts too. I need a beer, this time for the right reason. So he's looking to celebrate. Yeah, I thought that Darvin Ham coached a pretty good game overall. Sure, there were some moments that you can say could have been better. You could talk about the defensive scheme against Aaron Jackson Jr. needing to be better and things like that. But sometimes good players are just good players, and that's what happens. But Overall, yeah, pretty pleased with the way that Darvin Ham coached this game. Jose said, our depth is real. Why is LeBron taking threes? Why isn't he driving? That's where I wonder if maybe the foot injury is a bigger issue, right? And that's where, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I don't want to say the Lakers are going to sweep the Grizzlies. There is such, such a long way to go. I just want to say that if you have a chance to close out a series, if you have a chance to end a series early, if you're the Lakers, you can't use that as an opportunity to mess around and give some other guys some minutes or try some things or whatever because you need to close out the series and let your guys who are managing injuries have time off to manage those injuries. That's what you want. So why is LeBron taking threes? I think it could be the foot situation. I think that could be bothering him uh, and it would be expected. You wouldn't assume that his foot is 100% because we knew that it wasn't going to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Wicked Bronco. Oh, said Latrev missed my two super chats from last show. I hope not. I, I tried to get through all of them. I know there were a few towards the end that I may have missed out that just that weren't relevant by the time I got to them so much had changed around the NBA by that point. But I try not to let super chats go. I try to make sure that I at least put them on say a bonus show like, uh, like this one, even if I can't get to them live lethal saints at eighties defense. Wow. Agreed. AD was phenomenal on the defensive end of the floor. Again, a reminder that when he's at his best, I don't think there's a better defender in the NBA period. The jammy Lakers wanted Kawhi. They got him in Rui. In my opinion, we just have so many weapons. I don't think that, look, I understand Rui and Kawhi have a have similar form on their jumper, are similar in terms of size. They're not the same player. They're not. They're not. If you're, if you're looking at Rui, if the bar you're setting for Rui is Kawhi Leonard, you're setting that bar way too high. You just are. Look, you could say he does some things that are similar, but that doesn't mean they're the same player. Look, if I, if I want to go old school here, at one point, Harold Miner was called Baby Jordan. And if you weren't around during those days, you're probably saying right now, who is Harold Miner? Exactly, right? I mean, just because you can do something similarly doesn't make you that player. Now, I'm not saying that means that, that Rui is, is not a player of note right? Or he's not a good player. He's not a talented player. I'm not saying he's a player to just be dismissed or anything like that. I'm just making the point that your, your comparison is simply too high there. When we're, we're trying to put that on Rui, there are some things that they do similarly. There are some things that they do physically that look kind of the same, but they're not the same player. They're not the same guy. And if that's the expectation of Rui, all you're doing is you're setting yourself up for, for disappointment. Let Rui be Rui. Let him do his thing. He's a good player. He's talented. I think his physicality gives the Lakers something that they were lacking prior to the trade. I think there's a reason why the Lakers went and traded for him. 6'8 with a 7'2 wingspan. 230 pounds. Like These things matter to the Lakers defensively. His scoring ability matters on the other end of the floor. So I think you need to just appreciate Rui for what he is and not try to make him into something that he's not. He's not Kawhi. Odds are he is never going to be Kawhi. And that's okay. That's okay. He can still be a very big part of this team, as we saw in game one. Lucas said, I'm half Japanese, so Rui made me especially proud today. LFG. Well, all right. That's that's fantastic. That gives you a little bit of extra appreciation for, for Rui's game. Uh, Wanye said, Trevor, I didn't sleep. 
Every time I close my eyes, I would see simulations of the game. Appreciate you guys, as always, playback streams going crazy. Yeah, again, let me just say this. Actually, let me throw this out there, too. If you're not subscribing to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel yet, youtube.com slash Lakers Nation, make sure you do it. Hit that subscribe button. Turn on notifications because you know it's the playoffs. We're going to keep you up to date on everything. And then if you want to hang out with us, just hang out, watch a game. Come join us over on Playback, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Sean's there. I'm there. We have other people from Lakers Nation coming in. Jeff Spiegel comes in, Ron Gutterman, Matt the Optimist Peralta. We hang out and we watch the Lakers games together. It's a good time. And we're all watching it on the same stream. You can come watch the Lakers Nation stream of the game. And it's a blast. Sean and I, Matt and I, whoever is on with us, we get on, we get on stage and we talk, we talk hoops, we take questions, we do all kinds of stuff. It's a lot of fun. So again, if you're sitting there at home and you're just watching the game, come join us over on Playback. Come hang out. We'll watch the game together. Again, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Uh, Re, still fine in the West, Ja. Oh, because Ja had that comment about the Western Conference, about how they're going to be just fine. Got matched up with the wrong team. Careful what you wish for Brooks. The Grizzlies do like to talk a lot. Dylan Brooks saying that he was looking forward to eliminating LeBron in the first round. Uh, LeBron played that game like he had a little something extra, particularly on the defensive end of the floor for the Grizzlies, didn't he? Three blocks. Yeah. Yeah. But keep talking, please. Please. Begging you. Keep talking. Give the Lakers that whiteboard material. Black Panther, Lakers defense in God mode, four players on 20 points. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Great, great balanced scoring from the Lakers in this one. Allen, AD's defense needs to be recognized. Seven blocks, 100%, Allen. 100%. Pushing, Austin Reeves running the pick and roll looked better than LeBron. Austin is very talented. He reads the floor very, very well. I think if we're saying he's better than LeBron at the pick and roll, like that's maybe going a bit far, but Austin is very comfortable handling the ball in the pick and roll. He reads the floor extremely well. Again, that behind the back pass to Rui Hachimura. Oh my gosh, that was a thing of beauty. Thing of beauty. Good guy. Delo's good vibes are infectious. 22 million a year. Yeah, deal. If you can get him for that, that sounds about right to me. If you can get him for that, great. Great. I don't know, though. He's making $30 million this year. You have to convince him to take a little bit of a cut off of this year. But if you can get him for that, sure. Definitely keep him. Definitely, I think he's a really nice fit offensively with LeBron and AD. And I think with Austin Reeves, with those two in the backcourt, I think D'Lo and Reeves are the Lakers' backcourt of the future. And I don't think you have, you know, one will be called the point guard, but I think you have two initiators there that makes it really tough to game plan for the Lakers because you don't know if, if it's going to be Austin attacking, if it's going to be D'Lo, if it's going to be LeBron. So many options. Really, really fun. Dad's YouTube channel. If Jaws hurt next game, do you double Jaron Jackson Jr. on the post? Actually, I think Tyus Jones is the better three-point shooter, so it might make it that much more difficult to double Jaron Jackson Jr. So I don't think it's an automatic yes. It's not like... You know, if Steph Curry is out and suddenly you're going to send doubles at Clay or something like that, right? Not like that, because Jaws is going to do his damage getting into the paint, getting to getting the rim. Now, you can say he would attack closeouts if you double and Jaron Jackson swings the ball. But still, 
it's not quite the same. And Tyus Jones is a the better three-point shooter. So if you're going to give up an open look, you'd rather give it up to Jaw actually than to Tyus Jones. So I don't know that this makes it easier. I do think the defensive scheme needs to switch uh, from what it is on Jaron Jackson Jr. I'd like to see, I'd like to see him not be able to get uh, to switch hunt guys like Vando. I'd like to see some changes there. But other than that, I I don't know that it makes it necessarily easier to double in the post. All right, we'll wrap up with this. Go zero said, what a phenomenal performance from having a 0.3% chance of making the playoffs to reorganizing the team at the trade deadline and getting the seventh seed. Feeling really proud of this Lakers team. Great game one win. Go zero 24. That is just a phenomenal way to sum everything up. Very well said. Yes, the Lakers having a very, very small chance when they were two and 10 to making the playoffs, to fighting to hang in there, and then moving from the 13th seed up to seventh after the trade deadline, having the best record in the Western Conference post-trade deadline. What a run from the Lakers. They hung in there. They did what they needed to do. And now here they are in the 2-7 matchup. I believe they're now the favorites to come out of this matchup. Now that they took game one and with the injury to Lebr- to Ja, wow. I mean, what an incredible last, well, incredible since February 10th it's been for the Lakers. Over two months now, suddenly Lakers basketball is back. Long way to go, long way to go, but man, look how far we've come. Lakers Nation, we're going to stop there, but I do appreciate you all joining me on this show. Uh, we are we do have more questions to get through. I'm going to have Ron Gutterman on tomorrow. We'll talk through some things as well, go through a few more of these questions and comments because, again, there are, are still more that I haven't gotten to yet, so still working through that, but Thank you guys for joining me. Make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications as well. And of course, over on Apple Podcasts, do me a favor, give us that five-star rating and review. Great way to help out the show. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.